So how do you achieve financial freedom, gain wealth, and live life on your terms? That is the question, and here is the answer. I'm A.G. Osborne. Welcome to Cash Flow to Freedom. Welcome, everybody, to Cash Flow to Freedom. Today, it is an incredibly rainy, miserable week, and it's been a crazy kickoff to the first of the year. So I know a lot of people... When the year kicks off, it's in planning mode. We're setting up lots of foundational things for the first part of the year. And that tends to be true across the board, I feel like, economically, too. You see this a lot. There's lots of events going on. And we have been going to, it just seems like, traveling a lot. We've been going from event to event. I speak at several of them. But we're also going there to get updates on the outlook of the year to make sure we understand where we're placing our money, to understand where we need to tweak our businesses, where we need to grow, who we need to hire. We're looking at all these different aspects as we're trying to make sure that growth is done correctly, that it's not just growth for the sake of growth. This is really important. And uh, we talk about having this five-year plan and having these large goals broken down into small goals, making them executable and starting out with, you know, this vivid vision type of scenario, which those of you that haven't read the book, Vivid Vision, I highly suggest it. This idea that you're working from right brain to left brain, that you're, you're starting out in story format. It's emotional that you're envisioning, right? The end result. And, uh, you know, this is how I structure our plans um, and this is how I structure most of everything in my life is I, I try to make sure that you include both sides. There's always this argument. I know we talked about this before, but there's this argument on how goals should be set up. Some are like, you just have to have these bags, big, audacious goals, and they need to be so big, they scare everybody. And then other people are like, that's pointless. You need to have smart goals, right? Specific, measurable. You know, we hear all these acronyms and these ways of things to either make goals that are achievable or make goals that are just so big, they're not only just stretch goals, but they're beyond your wildest dreams, which I don't believe in either one because I believe it's a combination of both. Those need to be correlated in a way that is executionable. So when you start out with what I would call your big audacious goals, your bags, right? This is simply envisioning where you want your life to be in three to five years. I use five, some people use three. After five, to me, it's just... There's just no way that you can even begin to measure what the world will be like in five years and beyond. So five years is kind of the farthest out, I take it. But that's where I plan huge goals. You know, that's when I plan what will my family's life be like? What will all these things that I want and desire, the impact that we'll have, the things that we'll accomplish, you want to just feel it. You want to think about it, right? And then as this passed down, and then the next step you need to have down into just big individual goals. So what are the big, I call them leverage, right? What are the things that are the key leverage things that are really going to leverage it to move the needle? That's what I call needle movers. They're going to move the needle to get you there, right? So, oh, well then, I'd have to start a business or we're going to have to have, you know, our first child or whatever those things may be in those different categories that those seem like big audacious goals, right? And then from there, 
you need to bring in so you have this just huge vision and you have these needle movers right then the next one are like measurable big goals okay well if i'm to achieve this this year i need to accomplish that and then finally that brings you down to your actionable weekly measurable goals that should be doing every day but it all coincides right so it's this process of bringing what is not reality to life it's this creation process that so many it's it's almost addicting when you think of something and how it could be and then you work as hard as you can and you achieve it and you figure out that process you get to see the change that it makes in your life and others lives well as we're all going through this at the first of the year a lot of us are putting in these foundational things and so many people are building on foundations that have nothing to do with their end goal or more importantly they want to feel that they're doing the right things so they're just busy and lots and lots of busy work. I really don't have time for lots of busy work, even though I find that we get drowned in it. I work with my employees, and one of the things that I said this year, I'm like, hey, we've got goals. We really got to work hard to achieve some bigger things. I need more out of you. I want you guys to take the bottom 30% of your job that doesn't really affect anything, that tends to be just busy work, but has no real outcome, but you say, but we have to do it. I want to take this and start questioning everything that we're doing. How can we eliminate? How can we automate those things? The top 10, 20% that is this actually makes our organization grow, run and succeed. That I want to dial in how we can do more of that and how I can put more of that on their plate. So we are looking at that within our organization uh, for both our employees, but also us. And as we're looking at those things, what we're going to need to build, what we're going to need to do in the future, that's where this third party information, right, comes up. This is where you're laying this foundation and you're trying to make sure you do it right. So when you're building everything upon it, it doesn't come crumbling down. This can have everything to do with timing in the marketplace. This can have everything to do with skipping the steps, not hiring the right people. This can have everything to do with using your money and putting it in one investment that is actually not contributing to your path that you're on. And so you now have opportunity cost because you're passing up ever other investments. So we're in, uh, um, we, well, I was in Utah, I'm headed to Colorado. And as we're looking through the lens of the economic future to try to understand better the outlay of how we want to proceed forward, a lot of people are getting stumped because the economy is still humming along. It's been 10 years, the longest economic growth that we've had, and probably the best economic growth that we've had in the last like 50 years. It's not blowing up. There's not, it's not, you know, superheated. So out of all the economic expansions that we've had over the last while, this one is actually one of the slowest. And that's good because economic cycles don't die. So bull markets don't die of old age, right? They die because they get overheated and they implode. But with that growth also comes other problems. Now it seems like assets are higher priced than we feel comfortable with, right? It seems like where are we going to go in the next two years? And this time frame, it's been so long. Am I getting in at the wrong date? Am I getting in at the wrong time? Am I expanding too soon? Am I going to have to cut back coming forward? Where should I be putting my money? 
right? Should I be putting it in a 401k? Should I be investing it in stocks, even though the stock market's so high? This is just continual questions that we keep hearing and receiving from everyone across the board. A lot of people I know are moving to dry powder where they're just like, listen, we're not developing, we're not doing acquisitions, we're moving to dry powder, and we're just keeping it there ready to go so that capital is on hand and we can get it in the next pullback. And when I look at this and people want to know which way is the best to go, there's a few things that come to our mind, first of all. I don't tie to tr- try to time markets. We don't believe in timing markets. Everything is done on a deal based. That's why we like the value add strategy so much because opportunity, you don't find opportunity, you create it. You need to remember that. And uh, if you're developing a strategy to consistently create wealth, that is a creation problem, not a finding right? So you don't run out of opportunities, right? You run out of your ability to create opportunities, right? Because the activities that create opportunity, maybe you're not doing. But when we're looking at individual opportunities, and it's this value add creation, I'm not trying to go for two, three years in the future. I'm just trying to get it from the next six months, turn it around a good stabilized asset. If I'm looking in my business and I'm looking to hire salespeople, I'm looking at, once again, more microeconomics. Okay, where are we in our sales cycle as an organization? Where are we as far as cash flow goes? Is that as a good is that a good place to be investing? Or should we be investing in more infrastructure, admin, things like that within the organization? Well, you and your personal life even if you don't have investments and you don't have business, you're asking the same questions. Do we invest this back into ourselves or do we invest this out? Do we put this in, our, uh, in a wealth vehicle? How you know, should we be allocating these funds that we have? Is it time to expand? Is it time to save? Well, it's always time to save in my book. Expanding should come as far as economic expenses and you should be expanding as far as investing in your businesses. But with that said, I'm actually looks like we're going to be building a new house soon. So I'm not against personal expenditures. I am not against moving forward and making sure your lifestyle is comfortable. But at the same token, though, I have no problem being uncomfortable. And I think most people's idea of comfort is exaggerated, to say the least. I know that my ideas and everything else, we need to live under the comfort, you need to be saving more. But if you already have your wealth vehicle, whatever that wealth vehicle may be, should you be putting money behind it? So if that's investing with stock, should you be putting your money behind it? Or should you be holding your money back and waiting for an opportunity? You should always have capital for opportunity. I'm a big believer on that. You don't ever want to get in a place where you can't capitalize on opportunities. With that said, though, I don't believe you ever should stop. So if there's no opportunities because markets are completely screwed up, which that happened to us, we stopped investing in real estate after 2005 because numbers no longer made sense. It had nothing to do with if the market was going to go up or it was going to go down. We couldn't find cash flowing assets and we buy off cash flow. And the cash flow that we could find was coming very, it was, it was, it wasn't giving us a really good return at all. And the smaller your returns get, the higher your risk gets. And the le- and the more novice you are, the harder it can be to do a value add. So that's why when you get in the top of these market cycles, it can be difficult for you. So we understand this. Now, when you're dealing with 
these tops of these market cycles, it doesn't mean that there's not opportunity. You've got to find it. You've obviously got to work harder for it. But two, it is healthy to say, listen, I need to be in a good financial situation. Are your credit cards paid down, right? Like, look, take this opportunity the first of the year to, first of all, clean house. Get your affairs in order. Where are your high interest payments, okay? Is this consumer debt, right? So we don't believe in consumer debt. Is where is your income coming from? Is it diversified? Have you found another wealth vehicle to invest in to produce multiple lines of income, something that you could scale and build wealth as opposed to simply relying on a job? These are things that you should be doing today. And now I'm always doing this. I'm always looking for other lines of income. I'm always looking for opportunity. We're seeing where we can save. We're trying to lower expenses, increase our margin, and you always need to be looking for the downside. So the downside is important, but the downside shouldn't keep you from moving forward. And that's really the, the crux of this. And when we're looking at the economic outlay in front of us, there's nothing that seems dramatically overheated. It's nothing like, you know, there's just no sectors that are totally blowing up. Now there's oversupplied sectors. We see this in storage and you see this in apartment buildings, but those are identifiable. You can look and say, man, there's all these units on the market. They're not full, walk away. But there's other markets that are not oversupplied. So you got to be more picky, right? But we don't see something where it's just and the economists that are speaking with us aren't seeing something that's saying, listen, this is you know, the market's blowing up right here. And this could end up being very bad. Now, I'm not saying there are no warning signs. Government debt is out of control. We have corporate debt from stock buybacks and low interest that has been going on for decades that have just exploded. But at the same time, government spending has risen. We've also seen that consumers are feeling more robust. They're out spending, but they're also saving at the same time. It's like the first time that this has happened in 50 years. These are good signs for the economy. We have a glut of people that don't own houses the millennials that are coming in to buy to keep housing market strength. And we have very limited inventory, which keeps housing prices rising, which that creates a problem because of the wage and the cost of living separation, which will then need to have companies need to start giving pay raises, which we're starting to see. So it, there's not that there's not problems. There always is, and there always will be in the economy. There's going to be bright spots and dark spots, but nothing that anyone's seeing that is really seismic to start a recession. Obviously, that's the point, right? We don't see recessions before they come. But I'm still seeing opportunities in the market that are very good. You know, opportunities that I would take whether there was going to be in a recession in the next two years. We're looking at several right now. And whether there's a, a recession in the next one year or five years, because there will be, that is those opportunities are independent of that. It's an opportunity that I'm going to buy on. And of course, people are like, oh, well, you know, you're going to be wishing in a year you didn't buy that. Well, not really. I mean, even if the economy goes down, it doesn't mean that I wouldn't have been able to buy that in the first or later on. It's not like if I would have waited a year that I could have bought it then. So you have to be confident in your decisions and your strategy. And you can't be waiting simply for a recession to move forward. Now, let me be very, very clear. If there's no good deals, you don't buy. Remember, I've done one acquisition in the last year and a half. Before that, we were doing like three every single year. But all I did was I shifted efforts onto more of a cash flowing business. So although less opportunity 
came for acquisitions here, which we're still finding them, we're still going to buy them, but it slowed down. We moved over to the high cash flow opportunities of our brokerage firm, and we're building that. We're hiring more employees. We're expanding as uh, lots of other businesses have come up. We're helping them deal with their insurance. So our efforts are twofold, right? As so yours should be. And you should be looking at wealth create. So like, you know, for us, self-storage is wealth creation and it's also wealth preservation. But I guess insurance and cash flow, that's income creation because it's not that the facilities don't create income because they do. They create great, stable, passive income for us because passive, we have a management company. Nothing's truly passive, but we don't spend 100% of our time when we can focus on income generating activities where it's effort put into those business models generate a much higher income. It's a business, right? And that allows us to, to stay current in the market. So instead of keeping just dry powder, I just try to increase the lines of revenue on the other side. And as those rise, as opportunities come up, I can take, keep taking advantage of them. And it keeps the cycle moving of wealth creation. So I have income creation, I have wealth creation, those two feed each other, and it keeps it moving right? My wealth strategy as a stool with three legs, I have a scalable model, which is in business models that we invest in that's mostly separated from our time, but as virtually unlimited scale, then we have income generating model, which is businesses, but their activities, things like service industry, things like that. And then we have wealth activities, uh, wealth businesses, which is our real estate, commercial storage. And that's the other leg. So it's those three legs to create a solid stool for me, which makes me feel comfortable moving forward. Then as any leg weakens, we just apply more pressure on the other and it creates opportunity to reinvest capital there. Now, a lot of people are asking simple questions where, where should I be putting money? And I heard people that, you know, there's this, this question in, yeah, I got to bring it up because it gets asked all the time. Should I invest in the stock market? Should I invest in my home? Should I pay down debt? Should I be putting money in my 401k? Okay, first of all, you should always be paying down bad debt. I am not a fan right now. I'm not paying off my home debt, which is small, but it, it's at an interest rate that is so low, the money's almost free. So I get a much better use of my money elsewhere. Now, consumer debt, I don't care. That just always is, I have a debt to income ratio on consumer debt of, not, not debt to income, but a rollover. So month to month to month is always zero. So it never rolls over continually. So I, I, I just don't hold consumer debt. I don't believe in it. But as far as your 401k stocks go, I have a large portfolio in the equity markets. And that's because I have IRAs, 401ks. And people are like, well, Rich Dad Poor Dad says not to invest in 401ks. I don't have these set rules, and I'll explain to you why. There, you know, Some people say, oh, I never would invest in a 401k, or I'd never invest in a, in a Roth IRA. That just doesn't make sense to me. First of all, when you're in December, and your accounts come to you and say, listen, buddy, you've got to get rid of X amount of capital because the government's going to take it. Well, you can do things like buy oil wells, stuff which I've participated in all of them. And then two, I stash my IRAs and 401ks as much as I can get them to avoid paying the tax man. I would much rather not pay tax man and I'd rather pay for future AJ because future AJ really enjoys it. Now, with that said, I haven't funded those vehicles for a long time. 
The reason being is because my tax rate, because of the real estate, has been almost zero for such a long time. Now, with that, I have no reason to fund 401ks, IRAs, because those are tax savings devices. And if I'm not, that would be a bad use of my income, putting them into those accounts, when I can put those into accounts that I can drive cash flow, revenue, appreciation today, and I can use it to compound. So am I against 401ks, IRAs? No. Am I for them? No. It really depends. If you are an attorney, right? And you have a very high income and you're getting taxed at a 40%, you should use every measure possible to avoid the tax man. There's just no reason to try to pay. So you should be investing in real estate. You should be investing in oil. You should be investing in your 401k. Gamble with the money that you know you're going to lose anyways. Why not? Now, you should be developing a strategy over time to get your tax break a bracket down to zero. That should be your end goal. So you say, wow, I never have to invest in a 401k anymore. Obviously, that's ideal. But the equities market has been a great source of wealth for me. I've done stock options, lots of different avenues like that. And I put money in those accounts, which they have grown to be very sizable. It's a great diversification method for me, although because it's not my wealth vehicle, it's not my go-to. I have not funded those accounts in a long time. So when you're looking at where you should put your capital, look instead inside your own house, right? Look at your situation. Well, are you going to pay taxes? If you're not paying taxes, don't, don't put your money into a Roth 401k. It's a tax savings opportunity. Why are you doing it? But if you have high tax, you don't maybe do those things. If you're looking at creating a wealth vehicle, well, do you, if you have no taxes, maybe you should look at starting a business that is a side thing that you can raise your income, right? Make more income than to invest in more passive real estate assets. Now, if you have a high income and you have capital on hand, invest in something that you can get tax benefits from like commercial real estate. So for you looking forward, over the next five years, as you're planning these things, make sure your foundation is built appropriately to the lay of the land. I hope that makes sense what I'm explaining here, but it's different for everybody. Although the end result that we're all trying to achieve is the same, but how we are treated, tax, where you live, all those kind of things, right? You need to take into account. Those help you identify the best wealth vehicles for you and the best avenue to be allocating capital to get the highest return possible to create financial independence and freedom. Once you identify the lay of the land internally, your house, right? And then you look at the economy, the U.S.'s house, and you identify the lay of the land, then you start to look at opportunities that exist for you that are sustainable, can produce a profitable return, and that that profit can be reinvested back into the exact same strategy at a known rate of return. I've talked about this a lot. This creates the compounding effect, which creates massive wealth and uh, income growth. And that's what you're looking for. So be thinking about these things as you guys are planning. Please look inside your house and ours. We have several articles and uh, different videos on the site, Cashflow to Freedom. Go check them out. Go see kind of more in depth on what we're talking about there. If you guys thought that this was helpful, useful, please give us a five-star rating. As always, thank you guys so much for listening. We appreciate it. I hope you're out there killing it too. Until next time, thanks again.
Thanks everyone for listening to this episode of Cashflow to Freedom. Be sure to subscribe to us for more and feel free to check us out at cashflow with the number 2freedom.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook. And also, if you could leave us a good review, that would really help us continue to build out our content and our community. Thank you so much.